This week, can Democrats get their defense budget bill? What would Mayor Pete do as commander-in-chief? And are we finally getting a real defense secretary on the Defense Nerds podcast? Welcome back to the Defense Nerds Podcast, where we spent the July 4th holiday showing our love for all things related to military news by researching defense acquisition policies in colonial times. I am Leo Shane, Deputy Editor at Military Times. I hope your holiday week was full of brightly colored fireworks and not the political fireworks. We've got some good things planned for the rest of the summer, so be sure that you are hitting that subscribe button to our feed on your favorite podcast platform. With me, as he is every week, is my co-host, the author of an upcoming book on the Colonial Army's fight to secure America's 18th century airports... It's Defense News Capitol Hill Bureau Chief Joe Gould. Joe, how are you? Welcome back, Leo, and welcome back to the invisible fourth person in the room, our listener. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's, uh, that's the sound of somebody who spent too much time unta- unpacking boxes over the holiday <laughs> week. So. Uh, Joe, let's, let's start this week with the House passage of the Annual Defense Authorization Bill, which happened last Friday. The $733 billion measure was adopted with support from progressive Democrats and opposition from House Republicans who say it's billions short of what the military needs. It unnecessarily limits nuclear weapons arsenal. It contains a whole host of problematic provisions on climate change and transgender troops and cats and dogs sleeping together and all sorts of other hot-button issues that they'd rather avoid. Uh, but despite the concerns, we now have two drafts of the NDAA headed towards conference negotiations. Uh, this bill has passed for 58 consecutive years. Joe, when are we going to finally have the closing on this big, big, um, big bill? Well, I I think it's probably not going to be for a little while now. Um, my sense is that the that the ultimate top line is is probably going to be tied in with um, with the uh, budget deal. And so we may not see it for for some time. They're going to go. Well, it has to be right. I mean, until they really have a budget deal, there's no. This thing is just right. This thing is treading water. So yeah, there's there's a seventeen billion dollar delta between the the House and the Senate, as you alluded to. Who you know, it that's going to be that's going to go up the up the chain to uh, to the White House and um, and congressional leaders. So let's take let's take the budget aspect out of this and assume that that has to get solved on its own. Let's let's talk about everything else that's in there because. This was, you know, we had been watching this. We've been wondering if Democratic leadership was going to sort of tack towards the middle to get more Republicans to sign on to this to make sure. No. Instead, they did the opposite. This is a very, yes. very progressive bill. So t- talk to me about some of the things you think are going to be really problematic when this goes to conference. Because the Senate, you know, not only is the Senate bill, you know, pretty pretty straightforward, it also had support from Senate Democrats. I, I think the prohibitions on um, related to... Uh, use of DOD funding for the border mission, prohibitions on troops operating at the border, DOD housing migrant uh, children. Now, those um, border issues haven't been controversial. In the- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the that's at the top of the list. And then I would say the low yield nuke the prohibition on the deployment of a low yield uh, low yield uh, nuclear warhead. Republicans have pushed back on that. Um, I, I mean, we could go we could go on and on. Right. There's a. Um, there's some interesting ones, right? The we've seen in the set Republicans in the Senate voting for uh, the U.S. to to stop supporting the Saudi-led coalition in Yemen. That's part of it. Um, but there's another war powers-related uh, amendment in there. 
Yeah, you could potentially see I- Iran. Maybe there's some so, language that gets in there. Maybe there's something. I mean, I don't see that as necessarily one of the issues that just gets thrown right in the trash can. I think, yeah. you know, the nuclear issue is going to be a tricky one. Um, it was interesting before they started amendment votes in the House, they had a a uh, self-executing amendment, which is a whole other podcast on the intricacies of parliamentary procedure, but mm-hmm. uh, that threw a, a handful of kind of big personnel-style issues in there. Uh, there's a, a fix to the Ferris Doctrine. This is We've talked about this on the podcast in the mm-hmm. past, but this is a, uh, a Supreme Court decision which bars troops from suing for military medical malpractice. Um, that got tossed in sort of under the radar. Uh, there's a fix to the widow's tax, which we've talked about. Right. This is... Uh, the the spouses surviving spouses of all troops. all popular provisions, but none of it uh, paid but, for. Yeah, costly provisions. Costly. That's the big thing. Transgender troops got thrown in here. You saw a little bit of Republican support on the right. House floor for that. You know, those are the kind of things that staffs really going to have a messy time sorting out. Do they leave it in? Do they not? Especially when the money's involved. How do you find the extra five hundred million for the widow's tax in there? Would you, I mean, what's your take on what uh, you know Smith was after there? I was I was wondering, you know, by throwing in the the by kind of codifying the pay raise by uh, throwing in the widow's tax, um, what do you think he was at? You know, what do you think he was after? I think there? I think there, especially after we saw the uh, House Armed Services Republicans decide they weren't going to back this coming out of committee. I think you're seeing Chairman Smith say, "All right, well." We'll make this a full Democrat priority mm-hmm. thing. We'll take some of these uh, that we know are difficult because they're not paid for, and as long as we're, you know, as long as we're going for a Democratic wish list, we'll make it a real wish list. Let's see right. that we the pay raise one is particularly interesting because that language does nothing really. I mean, they look. The president said he wants three point one percent. Right. The 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 Senate version has three point one percent. They can go silent, and that's going to go in. It, but uh, Thornberry said on the floor that that it means nothing because there's actually right. a formula that gets used to to calculate the pay raise, and so the, there, you're not vote. If you didn't put it in the bill, it would happen anyway. Right. But what it does say is we're putting in a provision that really emphasizes this. Right. And you guys over there on the right aren't voting for that, so right. you must hate. You the voted against the exactly. pay raise, so. right? Uh, so it's some gamesmanship there, but uh, again, you know, if I, I think Smith is looking at this saying, fine, if you guys aren't going to bend a little and support a Democrat written bill, then we'll make it one that you would never support. Mm. <laughs> we'll make sure that we get everything we want in this, and you can you can sit there with egg on your face. Well, the, you know, it's interesting to watch the charges of partisanship flying back and forth. You know, where you had uh, where you had Thornberry and Republicans saying this was a partisan bill. And Democrats saying it's only a partisan bill because Republicans decided not to vote for it. And had they, it, Smith said that he that he you know attempted to engage uh, Republicans multiple times. Thornberry said you didn't allow us any amendments on the any floor amendments hardly, um, so that we can improve the bill. And he said I hope that this improve you know that this bill improves through the process, which is basically him saying, um, you know there are going to be conference negotiations with. Um, with Jim Inhofe and the Republican-led Senate, and hopefully a bill that comes back is going to have, um, you know, provisions more to Republicans' liking. Now, it'll be interesting to see this bill go through a transformation, and the way the vote breakdown goes. You know, when you when when all these provisions were added to to attract progressive votes after Republicans, um, you know, deny their support to the bill. Um, how how's the the final vote going to go? Well, we'll see this this week if they can start those conference negotiations. At least start to lay the groundwork. We expect the formal 
uh, start of that conference to be before the end of the month. Um, also this week coming up, uh, another big story, Joe, that actually you broke news of. Uh, we're going to be seeing confirmation hearing for Defense Secretary nominee Mark Esper. Uh, this is President Trump's second attempt to find a replacement for Jim Mattis, who left the administration back in January. Nominee Patrick Shanahan withdrew amid questions about several domestic violence incidents in his family. Uh, Esper's been serving as acting Defense Secretary for the last few weeks. He's going to have to step down from that role will try and untangle the leadership at some point in the mm. Pentagon. But uh, we had predicted potentially problematic com- confirmation hearing for Shanahan before he dropped out of the process. What do you see coming for Esper now? Uh, well, I think the fact that they that that Inhofe was able to get agreement from the uh, from the committee to waive what's, you know, typically there's a seven day rule once the White House uh you know, formalizes its nomination. It takes, uh, they have to wait seven days to schedule the hearing. If Inhofe was able to get that waived, it's likely that that folks are in favor of Vesper. I think at this point, you know, seven months, people want to move move this along. Yeah, I mean, um, Shanahan dropping out feels like they accelerated even more. Where, right. where, whereas we were expecting Shanahan to face not a lot of criticism about his policies, but really to be a a proxy for Trump and to be a, a, a punching bag for, for Trump's military policies. I wonder if Esper's even going to get it that much because there is just so much frustration up here on the Hill that there's not a permanent defense secretary. Well, folks, uh, I mean, folks had been telling us that they that they liked Esper. Um, there was a, uh, you know, there's a, um, he's fairly popular, which is, you know, not bad for the third uh, for the third pick for uh, <laughs> Army Secretary, right? That he turns out to that uh, that that he rises to the level of defense. Yeah, secretary. pretty quick, pretty quick path up for him there from uh, yeah. from pretty far down. Um, I'm still expecting, you know, Elizabeth Warren, Kirsten Gillibrand, the presidential candidates on Armed Services to throw a couple of barbs in there. This is not to say that it will be a a pleasant, uh, sleepy confirmation mm-hmm. hearing, but. Um, but I just haven't heard the appetite for any real, uh, real rumble coming uh, down the pike. Yeah, same. Okay. Well, look, we'll uh, we'll track that. Um, also coming up this week, maybe as soon as later on today, uh, depending on how quick we can move on some of this stuff, uh, we're going to be posting my interview with South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Uh, our producer, Ben, and I got a chance to travel to Indiana and meet with Democratic presidential candidate and quiz him on a host of military and veterans issues. Uh, he's of particular interest to our listeners because he's really the, the first veteran of the recent wars to break into that upper echelon of polling and fundraising. Uh, and he just doesn't fit the the veteran stereotype you might be thinking of. He's a openly gay um, mayor, speaks eight languages, a Democrat from a red state, uh, pretty young for a credible national candidate. Yeah, I I, um, I think what's interesting about him to us and, you know, in our lane is he's taken some foreign policy positions. He's um, he wants to uh, repeal the AUMF, the authorization of the use of military force. Um, he's also talked about um, getting the, the U.S. back into the uh, the Iran nuclear deal. Did you get any sense from him how, a, you know, sort of a beltway outsider is going to navigate uh, Washington D.C. politics. I mean, uh... he's going to make it work. <laughs> gonna... So no, no. Well, no. Look, I mean, it's it's early in the process. There's, and as you say, he's an outsider. There's there's a lot of details to be uh, to be drawn out. But we went in and asked him quite a few uh, military related questions. Really looked at what Commander in Chief Pete would be as opposed to Mayor Pete. And um, you know, unprompted, he brought up that AUMF question uh, as as a major issue. 
um, even before I started to get into it. I mean, he th- he's, he's accused Congress of really punting on it and said that, that part of the problem is that Trump hasn't been as forceful as he needs to be to, to illustrate why it's important to have Congress invested in authorizing these wars. So he's saying, you know, presenting better plans of, of what it might be, having just better communication with Congress, and really putting pressure on Congress from the White House to do it is going gonna, is gonna to solve that. Um, we talked a little bit about the Afghan war, too. Again, as an Afghan war veteran, somebody who, who served over there for six months, um, just flat out asked him, you know, should we expect there still to be troops in? And he, you know, his vision uh, is is almost total withdrawal from the first day he's in there. Um, he does talk about, you know, having some sort of special forces, a smaller contingent, possibly even, uh, you know, a very small scale uh, situation like Germany or South Korea where there is a, a U.S., he wouldn't say U.S. base, but a U.S. presence that, uh, that just allows us to to have better relations with the government, but um, but that's part of his thing. He's like, look, I served there, and I thought I was going to be one of the last ones who I thought I was turning the lights off when I left, and that was five years ago. Um, and yeah. we're still we're still in this. We can't keep doing this. It can't be forever war. Did you get a sense of him as a credible candidate in a very crowded field? You know, he's he's in the top five polling, which, you know, is not saying a ton. But when you got 24, 25 candidates, like anything that breaks you away from the pack is worthwhile. He's he's young. He's a young guy. Yeah. I mean, he's you know, he's younger than you and I. He's, you know, three or four decades younger than you. Right. I don't think a lot of our listeners know that you're in your <laughs> 80s. But yes. Um, but he you know, it's it's striking. Um, he's he's. When you he's, say he's young, you mean he's maybe this is in his go around, but there'll I'm be another. I'm saying he's 37. And it's very interesting that he's he's already huh. broken out. Okay. Um, it's also you know he is bringing to the Democratic field a very different, as you alluded to, a very different set of experience and a very different set of of you ideas. Tell me, you were telling me he's a strong fundraiser, and he also has some experience with. Um, he he worked with uh, with President Obama. Is that he right? Was, it worked on Obama's campaign, so yeah. he knows you know he knows how to. Yeah, he certainly the the money has been the thing that has really caught a lot of people's eyes. Even as you know, Kamala Harris has moved up in the polls. Joe Biden's staying at the top. Bernie Sanders is Bernie Sandersing out there. Um, he's he's raking in some very serious, uh, very serious cash. So, um, and it's you know at, at that point you do have to you know take some of these folks credibly and see what they're see right. what they're saying. So talked a lot about the importance of leadership. Um, as somebody who is you know a naval reservist, talked a lot about the importance of how you message about the military and how you message to the military and, and really has uh, t- t- has taken a lot of shots at Trump for what he says are showy politicization, uh, political moves related to the military. Do you think maybe he's a more uh, credible, like sort of down ticket uh, guy it could be. or too I, soon you know, to say? I, if, if I found it interesting in our, our conversation that he didn't take any swings at any of his Democratic opponents. Uh-huh. He took plenty of swings at Trump, but... Um, but was uh, was pulling off there. That could be um, that he just doesn't have the distance between him and the president, or it could <laughs> be that he's uh, thinking about some th- some things down the road. But um, but also said that he's confident that that uh, that he can serve as uh, commander in chief. I'll give you one example. I asked him. You know, hey, you're you know, mm-hmm. there's there's three veterans in this field uh, that you do want to mention: Seth Moulton and Tulsa Gabbard, who. Uh, are right. are still in the race, but are having trouble separating themselves like uh, like Mayor Pete has. Um, but I said, you know, what what should that count for? Which is a, you know, if you're one of the front runners, it's mm-hmm. easy to take a slight shot and say, you know, I'm I'm coming from a, 
a broader perspective. I can think of a lot of things. He pulled back on that. He said, look, I think, I think people should know that public service is important. I hope that people are valuing that, but it's certainly not the only thing there. Um, but where it does concern him is when the president is talking to, about the military and doesn't understand the dynamics of what it means to serve. And mm. talked a lot about, you know, just getting instruction, just getting orders from a commander in chief where you feel like maybe your your best interests, maybe your sacrifices in life aren't the first priority. The first priority is scoring political points. So mm. uh, I think that makes him an interesting I, I'm gonna I'm gonna read into that and say that that makes him sort of an interesting down ballot person for somebody who may not have that um you know may not otherwise sort of have that credibility on on national defense issues well and this is this has been the issue for democrats right it's always the you know we we feel like we do good on foreign policy we Mm -hmm. feel like we do good on military but then when the actual voting comes in the veterans vote and the military vote always seems to break republican because tradition because this is where this is so yeah, maybe a veteran from Indiana is the kind of thing that a Democratic uh, presidential ticket is really looking at and says, this is what we need to counter somebody who we think is a is a poor commander in chief. Um, so it'll be interesting. I expect him to, you know, I think when he announced back in April, none of us really, you know, all of us were trying to figure out how to say his name. None of us have <laughs> still figured that out uh, perfectly. But uh, and now he seems like someone who we're still going to be talking about when the Iowa caucuses roll around next February. So. Uh, so worth watching. All right, finally this week, Joe, there is, let's go back to the NDA just for a moment because there's a provision in the, the House bill uh, that would prohibit the Defense Department from naming any future bases, ships, or installations after Confederate war leaders or battlefield victories. Uh, this part still has a long way to become law. It'll be interesting to see if the Senate even engages on it. Uh, and it's not going to reply retroactively to places like Fort Lee or Fort Hood or Fort Bragg. Um, all of which bear the names of Confederate military officials. Uh, but look, forcing a name change at those sites could be the next step after this. There's clearly some appetite. Uh, if it's coming down the pike, I thought we should do our part to brainstorm possible new names for those bases. So how do you? How can we do that in a way that makes everybody happy, Joe? Well, I, I mean, the renaming military installations, or, or, or sorry, or, or uh, prohibiting... Um, military installations from from being named for co- Confederate generals se- sort of seems like an idea whose time has come. It, it reflects them. <laughs> definitely reflects the moment we're in. Um, but to but to take it to its natural extreme, I mean, why not name uh, bases for something that everybody likes, like ice cream flavors? Wow! Like Ford Did cookies and cream. Yeah, Ford cookies and cream. You know, Fort Rocky Road. I have to. I'm gonna have to quibble with you. Ice cream flavors can be very divisive. I mean, if we get if we get uh, you know Fort Moose tracks, like that's not gonna uh, be popular. That's I think be... Fort like I think Sorbet is divisive. I don't know. I think, or also, Sherbert like is, like how far are you gonna that's go? Because because Fort Vanilla, like nobody's gonna want to go there. Think, it's I very think, vanilla. I, well, maybe we need to caveat it and say like no, sort of like. I think you're going the wrong direction. Okay. I think because we've right. already seen hints of this with a lot of idea? the a lot of the DARPA and the future looking programs mm-hmm. at the Pentagon. I think instead of looking to the past, we need to be looking to the future, and we need to be taking Star Trek and Star Wars characters and using those. We've already seen like the Jedi program. We've already seen so you know Fort Picard, Fort Skywalker. Who doesn't want to go to Fort Skywalker, Joe? Yeah, but I think once you yeah, but I'm gonna. I'm going to hit you back. I think once you kind of start, once you scratch the surface here, Fort Janeway, like, I think I think Voyager was a complicated, uh, you know, 
Not everybody liked. Not We're everybody have to, liked that have series. Rules. I'm thinking, you know, you maybe maybe the army just gets Star Wars. Maybe the Air Force gets uh, uh, Star Trek. Uh, maybe you give uh, maybe you give the the Navy Battlestar Galactica. And who the came Marines up with this? Whole thing. This is ridiculous. Maybe the Marines do Sorry. whatever the Marines want to do. So. Something was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> As it always is. Look, we'll uh, we'll come up with a better plan then. We've got a week to do it. We'll see what we can come up with. You can uh, you can view all of our bad ideas at militarytimes.com and defensenews.com during the week. And you can follow us on Twitter. That's where more of the bad ideas go. I'm at Leo Shane. I'm at Reporter Joe. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>